Now, as I've done every week, Mike says, I need to remind you that these are actors, you know, sharing with you very real thoughts in our culture today. A very real theology when it comes to prayer, when it comes to forgiveness today. And, and, and these are all things that are unhelpful, things that Scripture talks against. And hopefully we're going to get into some of the answers to that this morning. This morning we're going to talk, as we continue our way through this Lord's Prayer series, uh, we're going to talk about something I think is just fund- fundamentally important, not just for us, but just for our culture, actually. And it's how to overcome or get over the guilt in our life. It's this whole idea about receiving the forgiveness of God. Now, as a way to get you thinking this morning, I'm, I'm going to start with a, a little bit of an illustration, actually a true story. When I had um, first gotten here, I had the opportunity to, to speak with a gal, and she came in, we were counseling, and, and she was just struggling with life. Uh, she'd been through a divorce, her kids were struggling, her kid was struggling in school. Um, she didn't know exactly which way was up, you know, in many ways. And, but she just kind of kept talking as we, we as asked her questions and she shared her life. She said she'd had a hard time moving on from her ex and just, just found herself still kind of connected to their family in different ways and just hadn't really dated, hadn't really been able to find someone, hadn't really been able to invest in others, and was dealing with this incredible loneliness in her life. And then her child, her son, was, was not just kind of going through the grief of the divorce, but just struggling in his behavior, struggling in his school, struggling in every possible different way. And we kept talking about the 57-minute mark, which is where you get to a, a lot of real stuff in counseling, it seems, you know, an hour. And she started sharing this. She said, well, I guess I should tell you that I'm still sleeping with my ex, who's now in his own marriage with his own family. And my son knows. Maybe that's kind of complicating this too. And I said, you know what? I am so glad you shared that today. I'm so glad that you shared that because I've been racking my brain trying to figure out, you know, just what's the struggle here? Why is this, you know, thing so complicating? Why haven't you been able to make any strides moving forward? And and now that you shared that, I, I can just share with you everything that you've been struggling with is because you're sleeping with your ex. Your son knowing that has complicated his emotions, not just about the divorce, but about moving on and seeing his dad now with a new family, knowing it's wrong and yet still wanting that intimacy of the dad-mom relationship and he's just torn apart and the secrecy that you've sworn him to is messing him up as well. I said the fact that you can't move on is because you're still connected to your ex who, by the way, now is married and has his own family and you're complicating their relationship. She had listed five or six. She was dealing with different struggles. One of them was guilt, and she was overwhelmed with guilt. She was she overwhelmed with loneliness. She was overwhelmed with not being able to move on. Every single thing we could check off if she would just stop doing this thing. And I said, God loves you so much. He actually told us not to do stuff like this in his word so that we wouldn't get into these kind of places, you know? And, and she was wrestling through all these different thoughts, and I said, is it okay if we... If we pray and we confess it to God and we, we receive his forgiveness. And as we began to go through that, for the first time, I think, I don't know, since for years, she had been praying to God and she said, God, I'm sorry for the evil that I've done. We live in an interesting world today. Evil apparently is rampant. Sin is everywhere. And yet we're told in our society that there is no sin, Right? Sin is the stuff that you don't like, but not stuff that you do. 
We live in a society where guilt is epidemic, where regret is just everywhere. And we're told that there's nothing that you have to feel bad about. We live in a very confusing society, and our society, when it comes to this kind of stuff that's messing up their life, whether it be guilt or whether it be the consequences of sin or whether it be all those different things, doesn't know where to go. When I was in college, I was listening to this. I was a psychology student at that time, and I was listening to this thing on the radio, a renowned psychologist, and, and this person called in to the radio station and said, hey, I'm dealing with so many of the regrets of my past, and I don't know how to move past them. I made so many bad choices. I, when I think of God, I don't even know how he would look at me right now because I've done so much evil in my life. I've done so many things that I'm embarrassed about that I regret. I don't know how to move beyond this. And this renowned psychologist, he said, well, it's just something that you have to learn to live with. It's just something that you have to kind of harden your heart to. And that's the advice of our culture. Just pretend it didn't happen. Just harden your heart to it. Just blame somebody else for the stuff that's going on in your life. But whatever you do, you've got to figure out a way to move on. Even though I know it's eating you alive. See, the world really doesn't have a solution to guilt. It doesn't have a solution to regret. It doesn't have a solution to all the messed upness of life because the world refuses to embrace God's eternal truth. His love, his forgiveness, his way. And so when we do that, we end up in this place where we're just kind of stuck, rehearsing the stuff of the past over and over and over with nowhere to go. And he gets more depressing, he gets more lonely. In fact, depression is epidemic in our culture today. And yet, our culture's kind of found a way to deal with it in many ways, and that's blame everybody else for the stuff that's going on. It's kind of like, a, a, maybe you have a person like this in your life, but sometimes you're in the right, you're upset about something, and you go and you share what you did was wrong, and instead of saying they're sorry, they get mad at you. It's actually a genius kind of thing. You don't know what to do with that. Why are you mad at me? You're the one that did the wrong thing. And yet that's what our culture is doing. They're blaming everybody else for the stuff in their life because they don't know how to deal with it. And if they have somebody they can blame, maybe at least there's a release moving outward. Just the other day, in fact, my friend went to a psychiatrist to be psychoanalyzed to find out why he killed the cat and blackened his wife's eyes. So he put my friend down on this cushy couch to see what he could find, and this is what he dredged up from his subconscious mind. When I was one, my mommy hid my dolly in the swings, so now it follows naturally. I'm always stealing things. When I was two, I saw my dad kiss our maid named Ruth, and that is why until today I never tell the truth. When I was three, I was teased by all my brothers. Now I know the reason why I poisoned all my lovers. I'm so glad that I have learned the lesson it has taught, that everything I do that's wrong is someone else's fault. I love that poem, not because it's true, but it seems to be the outlet that our society has come up with to deal with the brokenness inside. Because if I'm pointing at your sin, and if I'm pointing at you as the evil, right, that I can somehow get excited about, then maybe all that stuff inside goes away. Today we actually have no-fault crimes. You know, that's when you can blame society. It's not really your fault. You had maybe too many Twinkies growing up, watched the wrong kind of channels, right? Wrong kind of TV shows growing up. It's truly amazing to me the things that our culture tries to do to compensate for its guilt. 
But the Bible, actually, if you go to God's word, it says there's actually only one solution ever to be found for our guilt. And it's forgiveness. And there's only one place to find that forgiveness, and it's through Jesus Christ. And there's only one way to get it, God says, and that's by asking. So Jesus in Matthew 6, 12, back to the Lord's Prayer, tells us this is how we should pray. Forgive us our trespasses, our sins, our debts. And then Jesus says to us here this morning, and they shall be forgiven. So why is it that so many of us are still walking around feeling guilty here this morning? Why has it been so hard even for us in the church to receive God's forgiveness when that's what Jesus died for? And I think part of the answer to that is that a lot of people I don't think fully understand or maybe at least fully trust how God forgives us in our lives. We just don't really process through, I guess, what happened on Easter so many years ago and why that's actually good. No, amazing news for us today. Because if we did, if we actually believed and we actually understood that God says you wouldn't feel guilty anymore. You would actually have this freedom that you could walk around with in life. A freedom from the past. A freedom from that guilt. And so we start asking God, well, what does that forgiveness look like then? That allows us to feel totally guilty and messed up here. And in the next moment, forgiven and free and unencumbered now by that past. What does that actually look like? Because I, I'm wrestling when I'm over here to actually forgive that. I keep asking you for, to forgive me, but for whatever reason, I can't receive that forgiveness, and I stay mired in this because I can't really wrap my mind around what this is. And so we go to God's Word today. I'm going to try to talk to you about what God's forgiveness looks like today because I think it's something we say all the time, hear all the time, but maybe it's something that we just don't get. And so I want you to think through each of these things. I'm going to give you three of them today. But when God says, I forgive you, one of the first things he says is, I forgive you instantly. Nehemiah 9.17 says, you are a God of forgiveness, always ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, full of love. I want you to notice the words here, always ready. It's a crazy thing about God. No matter what we've done, no matter what we've said, no matter where we are in life, the brokenness that we've brought upon ourselves, whatever the deal, God's always ready to forgive you. There's nothing you can do to outsin his grace. And when he does, he forgives you instantly and immediately and without delay, which is, I think, truly amazing because it just means this, that God's always more ready to forgive you than you are to ask him for your forgiveness. He's always ready. And I think we struggle with that because that's a lot different than the way we experience it here on earth. We don't experience that kind of forgiveness from humans most of the time. Because, to be honest, when we experience forgiveness here, most of the time, right, we like people to suffer just a little bit before we give them the total forgiveness. We'll say, well, we'll forgive you, but we like to hold just a little bit of it back. For example, when I was younger, I know this is going to be hard for you to imagine, but every once in a while I'd upset my sister, for whatever reason, right? And in our family, what was important to my parents and what's important to, for my kids not too, is when you upset your sister is you go and you apologize. So I would go and I'd say, sorry, sis, I'm so sorry for what I've done. Will you forgive me? And she said something like this, uh, I'll think about it. I said, I'm sorry. What are you thinking about? I'm thinking you need to suffer a little bit more. Thinking you need to gravel a little bit more. I think I'm going to give it a little bit more time, right? So I can rub it in a little bit and then I'll forgive you. That's what I'm thinking about is what she's thinking. But you know what? God is never like that. Ever like that. 
God never waits for you to give you forgiveness, ever. It's instant, it's immediate. It's the moment you ask, right? It's without delay because we're just not wired to carry around guilt. We don't do it well. It attacks our, ourselves, uh, our health in our bodies. It creates all sorts of disease, all sorts of problems. It, it messes with our psyche, right? It messes with our emotions. It messes with, with, with when we're trying to sleep. It messes with just about, we just don't carry guilt well. And if this is all true, and it is, then should a believer ever feel guilty? What do you think? Answer God gives us absolutely for about 30 seconds. 30 seconds. 30 seconds is about how long it takes for you to admit a sin to God, to confess it to him, ask him to forgive you, and choose to make a change in your life. See, that's also part of asking for forgiveness. You're so horrified by what you've done. You get how it's destroying your life, how it's complicating your life, how you need to change, and you're committing, God, right now I'm going to try everything I can to not do this sin again. It's not, I'm sorry, and I plan to do it tomorrow at 2 o'clock. It's, I'm sorry, and I'm going to try never to do it again. See, that's part of the attitude of confession. Not just a recognition that it's wrong, but a recognition that you're going to not, with everything in you, not do it again. 30 seconds is about how long that takes. It shouldn't take any longer than that. There's somehow a lie that goes around that says, is feeling guilty actually makes me a better person. You think Catholic guilt, you think Lutheran guilt, you think Baptist, I mean, you know, we all have it. I mean, guilt, right? Somehow we wear that around like a badge of honor. But it doesn't make anybody feel better. It actually makes them feel more miserable. We're just, again, not designed to carry all that stuff in life. It doesn't make us a better person. Some people's motto is, I should always feel guilty about something. And if they don't, they feel guilty about not feeling guilty. I actually saw that in a sitcom the other day. They were talking about stuff, and he says, well, I don't feel I have anything to feel guilty about. Well, I kind of feel guilty about that, you know? And it's just kind of a joke of our culture. But God says forgiveness is yours for the asking. Not only does he want to forgive you, he wants you to feel forgiven. Now, that feeling of forgiveness is important. How many times have you asked God to forgive you for something more than once? Same thing more than once. Why? He forgave you the first time. God just not, doesn't want you just to know that you're forgiven. He wants you also to feel you're forgiven. There should be a tangible freedom that comes when he says, I forgive you. Maybe you had an experience in your life where you actually said, I'm sorry to somebody. Praise, praise be to God that you did that, by the way. That's not a very common thing in our culture. And they said this even more strange thing. They said, I forgive you. And all of a sudden you felt a release. I'll share with you this. It's, I don't mean to make light of addiction in any way, but, but this is true for me. So somebody asked me before the last service, they said, hey, you played Madden football lately. I have a Madden football addiction. I've been 10 years clean now, you know, back when the Wii was popular. It's the last time I played, okay? But the reality is that, no, I haven't played because I don't deal with it very well. I don't have an off button. I start playing, and then I forget to eat, and then I forget to sleep, and then I forget to hang out with my family, and I forget to go to chores, and I, I just, I, I don't have that off button. I, I, now you know how pathetic I am. There you go. But the reality is I, I struggle with that. So uh, my wife, uh, gently, and then not so gently, and then uh, I just had to stop, right? I, I couldn't keep doing that because she would get frustrated, and then the kids were paying the price. And so I finally have stopped. This has been a while now. It's been great. But when I did stop, I'll tell you, I felt a tangible freedom to sleep again, to eat again, to reinvest in my family who was no longer mad at me, to get rid of the guilt I felt from continuing to do something I knew they disapproved of. 
I felt a freedom in life to start living life again. It's like my life had been on pause while I was doing all this destructive stuff and now I could be free to begin again. There should be a tangible difference when God says, I forgive you. A freedom that he gives to not rehearse the past anymore, to move beyond it, to start tackling your life anew without being manipulated by the past. Forgiveness, God says, is yours for the asking, and he wants you to feel it. God wants you to walk around feeling forgiven all the time. He doesn't want you carrying that load of guilt. It doesn't benefit you. Basically, it mocks what he's done on the cross. I mean, why are his kids carrying around that stuff anyway? And so he tells you it's yours for the asking. I think the greatest tragedy today is that there are millions and millions of people carrying around unnecessary guilt because it's just not necessary. The Bible says that God is merciful and quick to forgive. Another thing that Scripture says, God forgives you completely. Colossians 2, verse 13 and 14, it says, He has forgiven all your sins. He has utterly wiped out the evidence of broken commandments, which always hung over your heads, and has completely annulled it by nailing it to the cross. Why, when Jesus died for all of your sins, which ones did he include then? All of them, right? You can't out-sin his grace. There's nothing that you could have said, done in your life, no place that you've been in your life that is so horrible that God can't forgive. It's amazing. It means not only the ones that I've committed in the past, it means the ones that I'm going to commit this afternoon, it's the ones I'm going to commit tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, all of them. Every sin, failure, mistake, flop, flub, error that you'll ever commit in your life has already been paid for by the cross. Notice again, it says he wiped it out. It's kind of like having a super stain remover, right? It's a mess. You couldn't get it out with just normal detergent, but you put this thing on and all of a sudden it's, it's absolutely clean like brand new. So God says, I don't want this guilt hanging over your heads all the time. That's huge because we live in a world that doesn't forgive instantly. We don't forgive completely. We actually, if it be told, we kind of forgive partially. Somebody asks us for forgiveness, we say, absolutely, because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I forgive you mostly. But I want to reserve part of that and just hold it as a little bit of a grudge so that if we have an argument later on, I can bring it back up, especially if I'm losing because I want to leverage something. And it's why couples, right, even godly couples, (laughs) and they break rule number one when you're arguing in a marriage and they keep bringing up the past as if that's somehow going to help your present. And it's why some couples have the same argument every single time they have an argument because they're talking about the toilet seat, but just goes back and back and back and goes back to some fundamental hurt in their marriage that they haven't solved and yet every argument becomes the same argument and it gets more and more heated because they got more stuff to throw on top of it and it can get downright unresolvable if you don't deal with that initial hurt. That's why there's so many divorce days in many ways. We like to forgive partially. We want to hold on to a grudge and use it as ammunition later on. And yet I want you to balance that with what the Bible says. The Bible says this, love keeps no record of wrongs. Imagine if you gave, that, that your, that gave up that power in your marriage and you just didn't keep a record of wrongs anymore. That when you looked at your spouse, you just looked at them as brand new, as not encumbered by any of the hurts that you've suffered in the past. That's what Jesus models. 
He forgives completely. He remembers our sin no more. Notice too, it says completely annulled it by nailing it to the cross. Jesus was nailed to the cross so that you could stop nailing yourself to the cross. He was hung up for your hangups. You don't have to go around beating yourself up anymore because Jesus paid for it. It's like if I I was shoplifting, right? And and you came down to the jail because I got arrested and they were giving me this 20-year crime because apparently I shoplifted a lot and I was going to be in jail for 20 years. And you saw me, I was going to be in jail for 20 years. And you went to the the people, I guess the, I don't know, the jailer. And you said, hey, let, let me serve his time. And they said, well, but you didn't commit the crime. I know, I know Pastor Mike's guilty. He's always had a problem with this, but... I'd like to serve his time anyway. If you get that, you get a sense of what Jesus did for us on the cross. He paid the bill, right? So that not only could he forgive instantly, but that he could forgive completely because there is no bill outstanding on your sin. There is nothing more that is owed because Jesus paid the entire price on that cross. So he can, in every way, forgive you completely and make it as if it's no more. And then he goes on and he gives us this last one. God forgives freely. It's almost kind of too good to be true if you think about it lots of times. In fact, in some ways, it doesn't even sound fair, right? I mean, for me to commit all of these things and go off scot-free, it doesn't seem fair, doesn't make any sense. It's not the way our world works. We deserve to pay for the wrong things that we do. It's only fair, right? And the answer we would give is absolutely. But God says that the bill has already been paid for. 2,000 years ago on a hill called Golgotha, Jesus Christ God came to this earth in the form of a man and said, even though I'm sinless, I'm perfect, I'm going to take on the sin of the world and I'm going to pay for it because I'm the only person that's never done anything wrong. And he started asking, well, why would Jesus do that? And the Bible answers that as well, and it's because he loves you. Romans 3, verse 23 and 24 says, All of us have sinned. Pastor Mike, Billy Cram, you, we're all messed up. We're all in the same boat. The verse continues. Yet now God declares us not guilty of offending him if we trust in Jesus Christ who always takes away our sins. Now I want to emphasize that free does not mean inexpensive. It costs God a lot. It costs him himself. The humiliation of coming to this earth the humiliation and brutality of dying on the cross, the mocking that he received, the, the pierced hands, the whole gamut of, from the beginning to the end. But when Jesus died on the cross, the last words he said on the cross were this, it was finished. Arms outstretched, he cried out from the cross, it is finished. And he wasn't saying, I'm finished, right? He's saying, the plan of salvation is finished. The payment for everybody's guilt is finished. I finished what I came to do. And so when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he said, it's finished, paid in full. Which just means if you're walking around right now carrying a bunch of guilt, that's not what God's plan was for you. It's unnecessary because it's already been paid for by Jesus. Which then just leaves us with the hard job of trying to receive it. It is an act of unbelief, distrust, when we continue to come to ask God for forgiveness for the same sin over and over and over, God says, I died on the cross so that you could be forgiven. Please receive that. And then receive the freedom and the joy that comes from that. Please let me loose from the bounds, you know, from all the stuff that you've been dealing with and the pain and the hurt and the frustration. God wants you to be able to live a guilt-free life. And it isn't funny how many people avoid church thinking that if they go, they're going to feel guilty. 
when church is actually the place that teaches you how to get rid of that guilt in your life. And that's the whole message. That's the gospel. That's the good news. What I'm talking about today is the central message of the whole Bible. God loves you and he forgives you. In Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9 it says, For it is by God's grace a free gift, right? You don't deserve it. That you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. In other words, you don't work your way into heaven. You can't be good enough to get into heaven. The Ten Commandments, you can't keep them enough. But God's gift, but it's God's gift. Therefore, you have nothing to boast of. Since it is not a result of your own effort, it's a free gift. Heard about a little boy in Washington, D.C. He was standing in front of the Washington Monument, and there was a policeman standing by his side. The little boy said, I'd like to buy this. And the policeman thought, well, I'll have a little fun with the boy. And so he says, well, how much you got? The boy said, I got a dollar seventy-five. policeman said, ooh, that's just not quite enough. And then he said, hey, you need to understand three things. Number one, you can never afford to buy this monument. It's priceless. You can never afford it. You never will, never could. Two, it's not for sale. And three, if you're an American citizen, it already belongs to you. It belongs to the people. When I heard that, I kind of thought that's the way God's forgiveness is, right? It's priceless. You can never afford to buy God's forgiveness from him. It costs Jesus Christ his life. You can never buy it, ever earn it. It's not for sale. Right? And as such, you can't bargain with God. You can't bribe God into forgiving you. There's no amount of money that will force him into forgiving you. But if you're a Christian, a believer, and you put your trust in what Jesus did, the forgiveness is already yours. It belongs to you. It's a free gift. And so God says to you today, celebrate in your forgiveness. Celebrate in Jesus who gave it all so that you could have none of that guilt and none of that consequence that comes from sin and just, just to leave it all behind so that you could be again free and forgiven and ready to tackle life anew. God loves you so much, he desires that you can leave the past behind. Today's got enough problems of its own. Tomorrow's only gonna be worse. We need all of our resources and all of our faculty dealing with stuff as it comes. We need all of our trust with God moving forward, trusting that he's got us, trusting that he's with us, trusting that he's somehow working good for our life. We don't need to be encumbered by the past. So receive that forgiveness anew. And all God's people said, amen. Let us pray. God, we thank you so much for, again, being able to, to stop and take a look at this Lord's Prayer. It is in many ways... Uh, <laughs> The only prayer you'd ever, you'd ever need if we would simply just stop and pay attention to it. Each one of the phrases, Lord, breathes life into us in different ways. It gives us peace and, and a knowledge that you're there. It gives us a, another knowledge that you've got us and that you're working things for our good, that we're forgiven, that you are able. Father, let us resonate in those truths this morning. Let us cling to you. And we pray that in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.